Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say to you that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust. And to the dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife's garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The background of the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of his people is the sin of humanity. And without it, we have what we currently would see in modern evangelicalism if You've had the horror of seeing this week the advertisements 
you would think that the majority of reasons that we gather today is for helicopter egg drops and candy gun explosions from grades one through five. And come have fun and come have a good time. Easter is the backdrop of the destruction of humanity and man's inability to do anything about it. After this event, the first thing that we see is murder of one brother to another. After that murder, we see humanity grow and have interest in self-deification. We have God condemning all of mankind that having from the very moment of their birth only evil thoughts all the time. After the flood, when only a remnant of humanity is left, God makes the same pronouncement. Nothing has changed with who man is. And so when we celebrate, when we come to worship on every Lord's Day, not just Easter, we are celebrating the overturning of our own destiny to judgment and death and separation from God. Easter is the celebration of God's victory for his people through the taking on of your and my curse in Christ's broken body and shed blood on the cross. His going down and being buried for you and for I and for every believer who will come to the name of Christ until the time that he returns. And now as those, if you are in Christ today, every Lord's Day is a celebration of the Easter event. Every Lord's Day is a celebration of Christ's victory. So every Lord's Day, the main point is and always shall remain the victory and glory of God over the sinfulness of man. That's why we're here. Now, if you have a candy machine gun, that's awesome, but that's not why we're here. In light of this reality, in light of this incredible mercy, in God and His providence, so determined for us to come to faith and, and, and by the blood of the second person of the Trinity, Pay the price for his people. I will read our text this morning from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I give you an opportunity after I read it to pray silently, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart and mind to the truth of the word. After that, I'll pray for us corporately and then, then we will enter into the time of the word. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. 
Please take this time to pray. Heavenly Father, as we come and gather here on the Lord's Day, we come to glorify your name through fellowship of the saints that are celebrating their union with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do so through corporate prayer. We do that through singing praises of God-honoring songs, praising your attributes, We do that through our fellowship with one another, the joy of being together here on the Lord's Day. We now do so through the reading of your holy and true word, where you have communicated to us fully all that you've desired for us to know about you and ourselves. God, now as we continue this time of worship, I pray that Your people, those who are in Christ and have the Holy Spirit indwelled in them, that you are turning their hearts and eyes and minds focus on your word. God, that you would show them clearly through your word the idols in their lives, the high places they think hidden. Lord, the places that we have made objects of worship, more often than not, bearing our own image. God, strengthen your people. Challenge your people through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would shed these sinful ways, repent of them fully, and pursue you, Lord, in holiness as you conform them and transform them more and more into the image of the Son. Until that day when He returns, and they are glorified. God, we also pray for the unbelievers in our midst, those outside of the assembly of faith. We pray you have determined this morning, Lord, to draw them by the Spirit through the power of the Word, to open their eyes, unplug their ears, and give them a heart of flesh that they might be saved. Lord, all glory goes to your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in, in this letter to the church in Colossae, we, we find it at the beginning of, of two places where he's trying to speak about different things. 
He's encouraging the church with a lot of therefores. This letter is, is simply um, a progression of thoughts leading to a conclusion. And the piece we have today is, is a glorious picture of, of who we are in light of everything Christ has done. And the section that comes after that, starting in 5, is going to charge everyone in light of this to put to death sin in their life. But first, let's look at this piece by piece. In verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Of course, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. And this would have been read to the congregation after a time of reading of the Old Testament and singing. And this would have come sometimes before taking of the Lord's Supper. But he's not using it, asking a question of if you've been raised. And it's assumption that if you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above. I mean, if you are in Christ, he's telling them this idea of union. If you are in Christ, you have received certain things. The person in Christ, as we we read earlier in the Genesis account of sin, all people, men, women, children, everyone is born under the curse of sin. That is a reality. You may look at your little child and go, not mine. Oh, yes, yours. All of us. And yet, Paul is instructing these people who who are looking at the world around them, are new to the faith, and even not that long ago, a reminder of who they were before they were in Christ. The things that they looked to, the things that they did, the way that they thought. He's talking to this this church as a reality of the fact that they are new creations. When we talk about being a new creation in Christ, it's it's a phrase that's thrown out often. But how often have you actually meditated on that? We are created in God's image and have innate value and worth, all of humanity. And yet all of humanity are also broken in sin. But that doesn't take away the worth and the value that we have because we are made in God's image. And yet where we are as broken rebels and sinners is we have an appointment when we return to the dust is that our spirit goes away from God to hell. That's where sinners go. Separation from God. And yet God, all the way back in chapter 3 of Genesis, talks about from the seed of the woman, one will come. And all of the Old Testament narrative is looking for that Redeemer. When will He come? Certainly it's Seth. No, it must be Noah, it must be Shem, it must be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it must be Joseph, no, it's Judah, oh, it must be Saul, no, David, no, Solomon, no, on and on and on. They wait, the world waits until he comes. And then when he comes, those waiting for them shout for his death. The death he was purposed for. 
And in that death, taking on that curse that weighs on you and I and all people who will call on his name. The curse is broken. The penalty paid for by the one, the only one who should not have paid it. But through paying it, through being that sacrificial lamb, now has made possible this idea of a new creation. And when Christ ascends, after spending time with his disciples and being seen by hundreds, and then visibly returning, going back to glory at the right hand of the Father, he and the Father, in complete agreement with the Holy Spirit, send the Holy Spirit to indwell those in Christ. The Spirit comes on them at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in that moment, we have new creation. A cleansing of the Spirit. And a taste, a taste of the inheritance of the kingdom. You and I, if you are in Christ, you are living actively in this new creation. And so because you are actively in this new creation, you share the benefits of Christ. And so being put to death with Christ is the death of the penalty and the power of sin over you. And being raised with him in glory in a picture of new creation. That's why at the end is when it talks about when he appears in glory. It's giving the people a picture of right here, right now, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation who has taken on the benefits of Christ. You are robed as one ancient said, in his glory and in his righteousness. And at all times, when the Father sees you, he doesn't see your sinfulness. He doesn't see your waywardness. He sees royal robes. All of it is Christ's. And so when Paul tells them, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You're a new creation now. No longer bound spirit and body to this sinful, broken world that will one day be redeemed. Now you are part of a new kingdom. The kingdom Christ was preaching about. The kingdom that he's the king of. And he's made you a citizen of. And so as a citizen of that kingdom, you got to stop looking for everything that's in the old kingdom. The one defined by sin and death. No, you have to look to the new kingdom. That's where your guide is. That's where your answers are. That was Bunyan's point when he was writing A Pilgrim's Progress. We don't belong here. And so while we're here, we're as pilgrims who wander, looking for our true home. And our true home is with Christ in the kingdom. And yet we're here for a time. And this is Paul's message. What is an Easter message for Christians who live in a fallen world? Who live in a pagan society? And you do. You live in a pagan society. So what does that look like? Well, Paul tells them. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things or look for the things that are above. Well, why? Why would we look above? Are we just looking up and walking around? We're going to trip and fall. What does that mean? Well, he tells us where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Now we're kind of getting the picture here. So we've been raised with Christ. We've been raised from this old life of sin and death and pursuing all the things that, that sin and death encapsulate. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes. We're to look above where Christ is. And Christ is back in his glory. He's no longer in his humiliation. He's been raised. He raised us with him out of sin and death. He's showing us by being at the right hand of the Father now in our entire life of of being in the Christian, living in hope, is looking forward to the blessed hope of the time when the king gets off of his throne and comes down to claim his people. That's the hope. Every promise given so far has been kept. There's just one thing we're waiting for. Waiting for the king to return. So set your eyes above. Set your eyes and your thoughts where Christ is. That means our thoughts, our mind is supposed to be captured by Christ. If you're acknowledging he's done all these things for you and you've been raised from dead works and in a, in a destiny of separation from God, if Christ has done all these things and you're acknowledging that he has captured you, he has captivated you, that means your thoughts have to be made captive in him. There's a problem for us, isn't there? Set your mind on the things that are above. Discipline your mind on the things of God, not on things that are on the earth. Oh, how we love the things of the earth. This this word that's translated in earth just means down. So, I mean, earth is even kind of a nice way to translate it. It's like, Look above in the heavenly where Christ is, or just look down. And we know the imagery that Paul's trying to make, and, and it and should be hauntingly true to anyone who is not a big fan of self-delusion. If you like to walk around and think of yourself as really righteous and holy, and you know, look at all those other people, and you watch the news, you're like, oh, scumbags. You're deluded. We all, the moment our eyes are off of him and looking down, we're all like Adam and Eve. You look at it. You think about it. It looks good. I want it. And then we hear the whispers. Surely God doesn't think that's bad. Surely he just doesn't want you to have fun. We know the pain that that thing, whatever your sin may be, we know the pain it brings to us, the lack of fellowship, the pain it might bring to our closest loved ones, that which creates rifts within our families, in our friendships, in our fellowship with God, and we go, but it looks good, and I can't wait. And I hear the whispers, but I'm just going to go ahead and take it. 
Where were your eyes? Were your eyes on that which was above? Were your thoughts captivated by Christ? No. When we live like that as believers in Christ, we emulate our physical parentage, not our spiritual parentage. We look to Adam and Eve and go, now there's a good example. Walked with God. Adam speaks poetically about his wife, flesh of my flesh. He stands and watches her be tempted and eat the fruit. Then he eats the fruit. Sin destroys them spiritually and physically. God confronts them. Adam says, it's this creature you gave me. And she says, it's the serpent that tempted me. Are you any different? Here's what the the world is in need of. is not for you to watch more news and complain at the TV screen. What the world needs is a church that is serious. Because if you're a fan of history, you'll see a church that is serious can transform the world. A people gathered together serious about their profession of faith. Serious about the fact that they understand who they are. A broken sinner who at all times must be on guard. And acknowledging on no power of my own. I am utterly weak, yet I have the Holy Spirit of God. And I have God's true and holy word. And he's put me together with a fellowship of saints that are just as terrible as I am. Some worse. But in that mix that he's put together, he's creating something pure and beautiful that will be presented to Christ when he returns. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ. The imagery of something that is utterly made pure by God in his power. Get your eyes off the things that ruin you and everyone around you. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes in the word. Be on your knees in prayer. Husbands and wives, Pray with each other every night. Pray with your children every night. Read the Bible together. Pray out loud for one another. And yes, some of you snobby older students, sing with each other in praises. It's okay if it's not cool. God thinks it's cool. Men, when you're out in the workforce, women, when you're out in the workforce, or when you're at home, in difficulties of life, bludgeon you, the pressures of work, the pressures that are put on you to perform and produce, and it's this weight that's crushing you, 
and you look everywhere except where we're supposed to look. You have to remember, I've been raised with Christ. My eyes need to be on the things where He is, at the right hand of the Father, being reminded what He's done for me, not just on Easter, but every Sunday. His innocent blood and broken body for me so that I might represent Him in my life. And the moments when you're at your worst, when the stress levels are at their highest, that's the moments that He's prepared for you to represent Him. Out of my box in this next one. And my wife is homesick, so mothers, as I mentioned working, when you're at home and you're drowning in the most unpleasant smells, sounds, and at times thinking, no one's listening, because they're not. It's in those moments when you feel at your worst that Christ has literally set up for you to represent him well. Students, those in college, high school, you were raised by families who cared enough about you to take you to church and to do these things we've talked about, to pray, to sing, to to tell you and show you the ways of God and you find yourself out in the world with the ability to be completely untethered from the morality that you were raised under. There's nothing in that but heartache. There's nothing in pursuing that but scars. Do not be convinced by the whispers of the serpent. Hold fast to your own profession of faith. Hold fast to these undeniable truths that you have been raised. The world needs Christian men and women and students and children who hold fast in the worst of times. Because at the worst of times is when Christ is right there. I pray for a church that holds fast. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 1 and 2, establishing the need to understand who you are. And what the the great task before you as a believer in Christ and where you need to discipline your mind and keep your eyes. And then he's letting you know, like, and when your eyes are on that which is above, what that which is above, you're, you're focusing on the blessed glory and return of Messiah. For you've been raised, but now he reminds them you've died. And that old nature is dead. 
You've been raised into new life, and so live like one, not looking to the earth and looking down, but one whose eyes are fixed on Christ. Don't live like you used to, because you you, Christ died for that. And you are hidden with Christ in God. That's that imagery. Do you understand it? The word means that something is, is blocking your sight. Or the sight of you. So, so I had a, a roommate many decades ago who I could only describe as, a, as like a, a Coke machine with arms and legs. And so anywhere you went and that person was in front of you, it was almost like you were surprising people when you moved out of the way. Like, oh, there's all those people behind him. It's this image of the fact that Christ is your shield. You are hidden in him. He's your everything. That's what the the analogy to that being kind of your shield and being your life. What is the key to the Christian life? Understanding what your life is. Your life is literally in Christ. Have a question? How do I handle this situation in life? How do I make this decision? Pray. Read the word. And then make a decision. I will say one terrible thing that happens today. And one author coins it as an illegitimate pursuit of religious experience. What that means is, as I'm using this example, don't pray... I'm pursuing or looking for a Christian husband or wife. God, make them appear right here, right now. Right there, right now. And right here, right now. Open your eyes. No. Live your life in pursuit of holiness. Personal holiness. Be a part of a local fellowship. In pursuit of holiness as a corporate body. And live your life, whether whatever you're doing, whatever you're working or that. And if you come across another Christian man or woman, um, um, if you're a man, a Christian woman, if you're a woman, a Christian man. We have to clarify that these days. And then you both see, oh, I really love Jesus. Well, so do I. Well, what's that look like? Do you read the Bible? I do. I'm sorry, well, I don't know. When I do this, it's... Oh, <laughs> There's the, I, I'm trying to keep the Easter message as serious as possible. And as soon as I did my hand puppets, I was like, it's all over. <laughs> Whenever this happens, it's just, it, but then I can't put them down because the show's not over. <laughs> I do read the Bible. So do I. Do you go to church? I do. Well, you should come to my church now. No, because I serve at my church and I should be a part of local fellowship. If we get married, we should go to a new church and we can, we can go over which doctrinal statement is better. It's mine. And then we can go there. (laughs) And then go about your life and pursue them in courtship. Stop asking God to magic things for you. Live your life. But do it with purpose. Do it with discipline. All of this is to say, and for those of you who are visiting, haven't been a, a part of what we've been doing lately, there is a real need 
for a church that takes these things seriously. Pursue Christ. Never stop pursuing Him. Never stop looking for the truth of His Word. Never stop praying. Never stop fellowshipping with one another. Never stop reminding yourself in the worst of times when you've utterly failed and you've sinned miserably. Never forget in those moments, Christ died for these too. And repent and seek counsel and seek Someone will hold you accountable for those. That's a part of your local assembly. And pursue Christ. Every time we fail. Every single time. You can measure it by these verses. Where were my eyes? Where were my thoughts? They weren't on Christ. They weren't on the things above. Church, we've been given all that we possibly need to live a life in complete pursuit of Christ. And we live in an age where you need to take that seriously. For those of you that are here that are not believers in Jesus Christ and all of this sounded like nonsense, I have good news for you. It's supposed to. Because the Bible says that those who are not in Christ, this is foolishness. So I'm simplifying the message in this way. You are a descendant of Adam. You are by nature and choice a sinner. As such... Positionally, where you will go when you return to the dust is separate from Almighty God. And that is hell. But the gospel offer goes out to you. Believe that Almighty God sent the Redeemer, the Messiah, Christ our Savior, to pay the price for the penalty of your rebellion. Believe, and you will be saved. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we continue in our worship, and we continue in this time, the, this holiday, this holy day of the church. Lord, we pray your spirit would move amongst those who are of the faith, that we would be convinced of our own casualness of our lives and faiths and, and be pursuing you, God, through a drawing of the Spirit, to be in your word, to be in prayer, to be in assembly, a part of this local fellowship or a fellowship that they're already a part of. Lord, that you might be glorified among the nations, that the work of your people would reflect your glory. God, we pray for the unbelievers once more. You are a saving God.
and you have. If you have died for them, while it is not today, we know in the future they will be drawn to you. God, so we pray for new life for those who have not yet believed in Christ. And Lord, we pray more than anything that you would be glorified today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.